Scores! Dominic Cahoon! That didn't take long to fit right the strip. Skinner comes away with it, fire scores! Oh my goodness, Jeff Skinner! And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to the Buffalo Hockey Central podcast. I've got my right-hand man here, Craig. Craig, I'm not sure if you're back home yet or or where you are, but thanks again for joining. Yeah, no, I actually got a little lost. I took a southward turn and ended up in the Great Victoria Desert in Australia. How I got here, I'm not sure, but I've been beaten by a couple of kangaroos, so uh, I'm going to try to crawl into their pouch a little bit later on, but uh, that's that's my evening entertainment. <laughs> okay, well, you got that all to yourself. Um, we're going to hop right into it. We've got kind of a lot to go over tonight. Uh, the first one that I'd like to discuss um, we've got some some arbitration dates coming up here for some of the Sabres players. Uh, most namely, Sam Reinhart is the biggest one. Um, and then we've also got Linus Allmark and Victor Olofsson. Now, Craig, um, I guess what kind of what kind of cap or cap hit or term would we be seeing on let's start with Sam Reinhart? So Sam Reinhart's really interesting for me because if you look at the history of how his contracts have been handled. I think you might agree that I think the Sabres have been a little overly trepidatious with him and been giving him, you know, multiple bridge deals and short-term deals. And honestly, I think back in 2018 when they had the chance to extend him long-term, they probably should have at that point because his contract in 2018 would have looked a little bit different than it may look today. So for me, I think there's one of two ways this whole thing's going to go. If you're looking at Reinhardt in the short term, I think you can expect maybe a little bit less of a cap hit. Um, You know, if you're looking at him for a one year or two year deal, which I think is a gigantic mistake because you are just waltzing him into unrestricted free agency at that point. um, I, you know, you might be able to get him for five and a half million a season. Uh, For me, I think the wheelhouse number that I mean, I would love if they were able to sign him for five or six years. But because you're buying up some of those unrestricted free agent years, uh, you're going to have to pay a little bit more. I would be comfortable going up to six and a half million on him if you get him for four to five seasons. Uh, five to me is kind of right in the wheelhouse. I know there's been talk about maybe seven million a year. I'm a little uncomfortable once it gets there, even though I know it could very well happen. Uh, but for me, the money is five seasons, about six and a half million on the cap. What do you think? Okay, yeah, I mean, six and a half was definitely my ceiling for Reinhardt, and I agree. Like, I don't think we should be looking at a one- or two-year deal. Like, it, it's either, like, he's part of the future and we're locking him up long-term or, like, we move on, right? I think it's kind of getting to that point with Reinhardt. Um, but going off of that, like, yeah, I, I would say my range for him is five to six and a half million. Uh, anything less than five would be an absolute steal, and I don't think Reinhardt would agree to something like that. Or I guess the arbitrator, uh, I, I don't think he's going to be cheaper than anything less than five. Um, but yeah, seven seven million gets a little bit rich for me for Sam Reinhardt. 
Uh, and yeah, five or six years would be pretty good. Um, so I'd love to see him come in five years, five and a half million. I think that would be fair for both the team and the player. Um, but we'll see. I think it's got to be somewhere in that range, though. Uh, next, we've got most likely our starting goaltender, Linus Allmark. Craig, what do you think about Allmark? So Linus Allmark is really interesting to me because if you – and I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion when it comes to the arbitration because if it gets that far because there are some numbers that you look at for Allmark uh, and you see – really good, solid numbers for him. For example, um, he has really similar uh, save percentage numbers and uh, shorthanded save percentage numbers to Jacob Markstrom, who just got a pretty nice little contract in free agency. So, uh, you know, there are some numbers that show that Linus Allmark is a pretty capable number one goaltender. There are also some numbers that go in the other direction. So, you know, and, and that's the whole thing with this arbitration is that the team is going to really focus on those negative numbers. Allmark's representation will focus on the positive. And I, you know, I would like to see them sign him for for multiple years. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at two or three years for him. Here's the thing. I know a lot of fans are really hanging their hat on this idea of UPL being the goaltender of the future. The thing is, when he was in the ECHL in Cincinnati, he was really good. I mean, he was an all-star level goaltender down there. He came to the AHL, and it was really uneven. Now, that's not to say he's not the goaltender of the future, but I think there are enough questions about him as a prospect to say that Linus Allmark is right now today the best goaltender in the entire organization. So uh, I could see them wanting to go to three seasons. Three years for me I think would be perfect because it allows UPL, if in fact he is going to be that guy, it allows him to have that time to get acclimated to the pro game at the different levels in the AHL for a full season and then some time in Buffalo, maybe platooning a little bit with Linus Allmark. And I think for that, if you're going to get him for three years, I think you're somewhere between two and a half and three million dollars a season. Uh, I think three million is kind of the upper level there for me, but I think somewhere around two and a half sounds just right for me. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I definitely want to see uh, at least a three-year contract. I would go to four, probably nothing more than that. And I kind of see it as you gotta you gotta bridge the transition, like you did with Allmark and Hutton you should do the same thing for UPL. And, you know, we're not sure if he is that next guy, but we're hoping so if Allmark doesn't pan out. So I definitely think UPL is going to be in Rochester this year. Not sure if he's going to be the starter or he'll, maybe he'll start as the backup and take over. Who knows? But I think next year he might see some time in the NHL as a backup to Allmark. Now, I mean, we, we saw Allmark. He's still kind of, you know, getting some tutelage. Um, from Carter Hutton, and I think Allmark could kind of play a similar role to UPL in a couple of years. And so I would want to see at least two years of them together uh, before giving it over to UPL. Uh, as far as the money situation goes, yeah, I think probably two and a half would be the floor for Allmark. Um, I, it, it's kind of tough. I don't really want to pay him much more than like three and a half. I think it would start getting just a little too much and, and affect the cap situation too much for the Sabres to invest that much. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets up to 3.75 with that said, I do expect it to be right around the 3 million per year range. Um, and then Craig, we've got Victor Olofsson, the, the quote unquote rookie last year. What do you think? 
Yeah, Olafson is the one that I'm really not sure about, and it's not really because of Victor Olafson, but because of exactly what you just said, where he is the he, he's he's the coming off the rookie season, but nowhere near rookie in terms of age. Uh, and and experience, really. I mean, you think about the years he spent in the SHL playing against men in Sweden's best league. Uh, you know, he has some great experience, and he showed excellent chemistry with Jack Eichel. So the question you have to ask yourself is, if you're the Sabres, where do you see him in terms of his role now uh, with the addition of Taylor Hall? I mean, we talked about it, how we, they, we think they may move him over to the right wing. Uh, there's a lot of conjecture about where they see him. Uh, and I think that the only thing that makes me think that there may be something involved here in terms of uh, an idea for his contract would be, and just like with Sam Reinhardt, a lot of people are, are comparing his future contract to the one that Max Domi signed in Columbus. And that was around, you know, five and a half million or so a season. And they're, they're pointing to that saying that's kind of where Sam Reinhardt's uh, sweet spot is. With Victor Olofsson, it's Dominic Kubelik from Chicago. And they're pointing to that contract. And, you know, with, with Olofsson, if if there's a lot of talk where you're looking at maybe two, three seasons, three and a half million dollars per season, um, and I, I think I'd be okay with that. I, I, I'm really interested, though. I think his case is the most unique because there's we have so little to go on, uh, to go off of with him. I mean, with Linus Allmark, you have several seasons of starting play, so you have a pretty good idea who he is. Sam Reinhardt ha has been in the league for six years, and you have a pretty good idea of who he is. With Victor Olofsson, we've only really seen him play the NHL game for not even a full season, and he had a, a pretty good stint in Rochester as well. So only two North American pro seasons under his belt. So I think it's kind of tough to project what kind of player he is today and is what he is today the ceiling. Uh, does he have another gear? He is a little bit older when it comes to the whole rookie situation. So I think that's going to be the most unique contract negotiation just because there's a lot of unknowns still with Victor Olofsson. But I would say... You know, I, I don't mind two, three years would be great. I think if you're, again, with his age, his unrestricted free agency status is a little bit different than these other guys. He doesn't have much time left in the restricted phase. So once you start buying out those unrestricted free agent years, yeah, I mean, you know, you, the price is going to go up. So I, I think the price kind of starts around three, three and a half million. But if they get into a longer term deal, you might be eking into that four, four and a half million dollar phase, and which could end up being an absolutely marvelous contract long term. Or if Olafson's usage isn't what we hope it is as fans, uh, then that contract could be a little bit of an albatross, not to the Kyle Pozo level, but something that would be very difficult to move down the road. So what do you think about him? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Uh, Money-wise, I'm right on as, as well as you are, three to maybe four and a half if it gets to a longer contract. Love to see him in for two or three years. I will say, because, I mean, we, we just haven't seen enough, like you said, from Olsen to really get an idea of what his true potential is. Um, so having said that, and having you know the possibility of playing with Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel, I feel pretty confident to say that Olsen will be the most underpaid player out of these three guys in retrospect to how much they're going to be making and, and what they're able to produce next year. Like, if Olsen fits on the Hall and Eichel line, I mean, like, what's the cap there? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like how many goals could 
not only Olsen, but that line put up. I mean, so if you get him for like four million a season for three years and he starts putting in like thirty to forty goals a seat, like that's a great deal. And yeah, hopefully we can get him in longer, you know, because if if it's a one year and he lights it up, I mean, you could be looking at like six to seven million next year. I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I I think this is a really tough situation for both the player and the team. A lot of times people think about the team first because of the whole salary cap situation. But for Victor Olofsson and his management, it's an interesting scenario as well because you know when you talk about those shorter term deals, you're talking about guys who are betting on themselves. Guys who say, okay, I'll take the one to two year deal. I'll show you what I have, and then you're going to really regret not signing me to that long term contract. I know Sam Reinhardt's been in that situation for years and and with mixed results, I would say, in terms of his benefit. But uh, I agree with you completely. If 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 the Sabres are here's the way I look at it from a Sabres perspective. If the Sabres are serious about Taylor Hall being a long term potential option and it's not just lip service and they're saying and they really internally believe that they're going to make a, a concerted push to keep him in Buffalo long term. And in the back of your mind, you say, and I picture Victor Olofsson on the right wing the entire time. If you, if that's the way you envision this thing, then you've got to sign him for four to five years because you need his contract in two to three years to become a bargain in order for that whole dynamic to work. Because you and I both know if the Sabres really want to sign Taylor Hall long-term, and long-term given his age could be three to four seasons, but in that situation, you have to figure the Jeff Skinner contract is the floor for Taylor Hall long-term. So you need contracts like Victor Olofsson to be at maybe $4 million for five seasons because then you have him for the entire length of the Hall negotiation extension. And at that point, then you have kind of a balance of contracts. Um, but if you don't see him in that role, if you see him in more of a role where, okay, he'll play with Jack Eichel, but we're not sure who else is going to be involved there, and you're looking at him as a, you know, potential 25-goal scorer in terms of consistent seasons, uh, yeah, maybe then you don't offer as many years. And maybe at that point, you know, you don't have to uh, put as much financial commitment to the whole situation. So I, 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 think it, I think his contract actually speaks more to the Sabres' long-term plans than it does uh, just as an individual contract. I think he, more than Sam Reinhardt, because Sam Reinhardt, as we'll probably talk about in a little bit, Sam Reinhardt, there's a whole question of does he even fit into the plans? I think Olsen fits into the plans, and if they think it's long-term, I think they got to give him a, a pretty nice contract. And uh, like I said, four to five years, and if you can get him for four, four and a half million, you've done a tremendous service to your organization. Yeah, I would love to see it, and that's that's a really good point. I mean, especially – with having to sign Darlene next season, like you're going to need some cheaper contracts that are, you know, a bargain in your lineup. And Victor Olsen could very well be that if it's a long-term deal for four to five million, even I would, I'd probably do it. If it's five years, five million, I, I would consider it. I would but too. We'll move, yeah. We'll, we'll move on from that. Um, but I mean, signing those three guys, assuming we do, uh, we're looking at, you know, not a whole lot of cap space left, maybe like a million, two million, depending on the contracts. So it's going to be tight. So at this point, Craig, I, I kind of threw something fun together. Um, 
don't want to dwell on it too much, but just want to get your initial reactions. So I threw together a lineup of the projected most expensive players on the top line and then going down, just, just for the forward group. And here's what I came up with. I am considering that Reinhardt gets a under $6 million deal per year. So on the top line, we have Skinner, Eichel, Oposo. And a second line, Taylor Hall, Eric Stahl, Sam Reinhardt. Third line, we've got Olofsson, Cody Eakin, Tage Thompson. And then the fourth line is Gergensen's, Lazar, and Dylan Cousins. Initial reactions on that? Uh, what's really interesting is it points mostly to the albatross that is Kyle Ocposo's contract. Now, uh, I'm not one to really dabble in revisionist history because Kyle Ocposo's contract, the day it was signed, was actually not a bad contract. If you look at the rest of that free agency class, it was pretty much a disaster. And Ocposo's deal uh, at the time was actually not too bad considering his production, his age at the time, his role for the Sabres at the time. Uh, and he actually had some pretty good seasons in Buffalo. But in 2020-2021, uh, that contract really hurts. Uh, that $6 million dollars. I mean, really, a player of his caliber today, and again, this is no knock on him. It's, it's a combination of the age and the injuries and things like that. But players of his caliber right now are getting a million dollars a season uh, and, and his production. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of tough. I love the second line. I think the second line is really interesting. Um, I think, it, and obviously the Dylan Cousins situation, him being on the fourth line because he's going to be on his ELC and under a million dollars. And, and so he's, he's a bargain for a couple of years. Hope, hopefully he's a bargain for all three years. Uh, but yeah, I think it's kind of interesting to see how really though, the, some of the most talented guys that have the biggest contracts are at the top of the lineup, like you would expect and like you would hope. So, um, you know, the Akpozo thing of course is a little unfortunate, but um, I think Sam Reinhardt, if he does get the longer-term deal, he may overtake him for highest-paid right winger, uh, if, if he is, of course, on the team for next year. Uh, but it, it also then speaks, too, to this idea that I know we talked about Olsen flipping over to the right wing, but their depth on right wing is still pretty light. So I think even though uh, we talk about how there's not going to be much cap space, and there isn't, uh, there's still some work to do on that forward group Maybe not this off season, but for the seasons coming up. Okay, yeah. I mean, I definitely looked at this, and and I did, you know, give Reinhardt a little bit of a cheaper deal because I wanted to see what your reaction of Oposo on the top line was. I mean, look, he he played pretty well. I mean, he's definitely a role player at this point in his career, but he played his role very very well on the fourth line last year. And I mean, we saw how not only like not only competent they were at times, but they were dominant. I mean, they had the puck in the ozone, you know, for the whole shift, like a minute and a half sometimes, they'd hold the top line in their own zone. And a guy like Oposo, you know, I, this first of all, this is not going to happen. This will not be the lineup. Taylor Hall's playing with Eichel. Oposo's probably on the fourth line. But, I mean, it, it is interesting to think about, and, you know, I just wanted to throw that together and, it's, you know, you don't really think about a lineup like this when you're thinking of what is the best lineup possible. No, but you know, you know what, John? It does show, too. I just thought of this. It also shows that the Sabres really don't have any solid bargain contracts in the top part of their, of their top six. I think, you know, maybe Eric Stahl 
might be the best of that group. I mean, obviously, Jack Eichel, of course, you know, you it's hard to measure his value with, with a number. I mean, his value goes beyond the number. But, uh, but, but still, it's interesting to see some of these teams who have, you know, guys like Max Domi, these really solid first, second-line guys for under $6 million a year, and the Sabres really don't have that, at least at this point. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Like, Eric Stahl um, is definitely the bargain of that top six. Uh, maybe you throw Dylan Cousins in there if he does play. Uh, obviously, he would be a bargain at the ELC contract. Um, but anyway, yeah, just different things to think about for sure. Um, so we got to keep moving. We've got a lot of talk about tonight, Craig. So the next topic we're talking about is the Hall signing. And, I mean, we talked about it all last episode. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but in a different perspective. Um, now, having the... Taylor Hall signing, does this put like more pressure on Kevin Adams to make a big splash in, in like the form of a trade? Well, and it's a really interesting point because the Taylor Hall signing signaled some things that I don't think any fans of the Sabres were really ready for. Uh, the idea here was you looked at the landscape of this team, you saw the early U, uh, UFA signings, and you thought, boy, the Sabres are going to be bargain shopping. There's this supposed internal cap, and they're really not going to be able to improve the team, maybe tread water, maybe a game or two better, but nothing of any kind of significance. When they went out and signed Taylor Hall, it kind of changed the entire landscape because now you look at the Sabres a little bit differently. This is not a team that looks to be treading water. This is a team that looks like they're trying to make a run for something. We don't know exactly what that is yet, but we know that Taylor Hall signifies a serious front office, that they're really looking to improve this team. So because he's only there for one season as of today, and because of this idea that if if you're going to keep Taylor Hall, a couple of things have to happen. Firstly, he has to have individual success with Jack Eichel or whomever he plays with. It really doesn't matter. If he has the individual success and then by, by, a, by a byproduct of that, the team has success as well, now you're giving him something to hang on to to potentially stay in Buffalo. So how do they? How do you do that, though, when your salary cap after the restricted free agent signings could potentially be less than a million dollars in space? The only way you do that is through a trade. So there are some interesting names being floated out there, John. I don't know who you've heard, but I've heard names like Patrick Kane, which I know is very pipe dream-esque. I understand that. But his name's out there. The Blackhawks' uh, leadership, Kane and Taves, don't seem really happy with this perceived rebuild. Uh, so we've heard his name out there. Patrick Line's name has been bandied about for a while. If you go to various trade bait boards and they talk about you know, guys who may be on the block and rumblings of them being on the block. I've heard the names uh, Victor Mate from Montreal, the left-handed defenseman. Travis Konechny from Philadelphia is a name that I had just kind of heard bandied about a little bit. And that one really interests me because I was a huge fan of his in junior as well. And the last name that I heard anything about would, would be Noah Hannafin. And what's interesting with Noah, Noah Hannafin is coming out of Calgary is the Sabres and, and Flames make very interesting trade partners. So I'm going to start there, John, if you don't mind, uh, and talk about some of these guys that maybe the Sabres could make a trade for to bolster another part of their team. So in looking at, I'll, I'll use the Hannafin example just to start. 
Um, Noah Hannafin, a left-handed defenseman, age 23. So right there, the Sabres are in dire need of left-shot defensemen that they can put into their top four to go after Rasmus Dahlin. I mean, really, your number one left-shot defenseman, Rasmus Dahlin, that's stapled into the lineup, no questions asked. It's, it's what's happening after that. And Hannafin is signed for four more years at just under $5 million a season. The guy plays in two of the three major situations. He's very good at even strength. In fact, he has very, very good possession metrics in the regular season. Plays the power play, second-line defenseman. Uh, a- absolutely exactly the guy who I would love to plug in behind Rasmus Dahlin. And for me, if you look at Calgary's depth chart, where are they weak? On the right side of their defense core. Enter the man who everyone has tried to get rid of for five seasons, Ristolainen. Rasmus Ristolainen is a guy that nobody seems to want around, but yet is good enough to be in this conversation for a lot of different trade opportunities. So uh, just as a refresher, Risto has two years left, $5.4 million. Kind of similar players here, but Risto is definitely the better offensive player than Noah Hannafin is. Hannafin is the better overall defender. But for Calgary, Ristolainen is the kind of guy that fits what they're looking for in terms of an offensive defenseman. He could slot into a third pair, be a power play specialist. He's really good as an offensive flair defenseman. Uh, He fits in beautifully. The cap almost evens out. I would be so inclined to add perhaps like a fourth-round draft pick in the next draft with Ristolainen to get Hannafin because I think Hannafin is a, a much better overall defenseman. But that's the kind of trade I could see them making where the cap really isn't much of an issue, but both teams are looking for an improvement in a specific role. Your thoughts? I do like Noah Hannafin. And I really, honestly, when we're talking about what potential trades we could be looking into, I did not think of defense. I mean, I really don't think that we need much upgrade at this point. And I, well, I think we do, but I don't think there's much to be done, but maybe I was wrong in in thinking that because Aristo for, you know, Hannafin trade, like you said, we need another left-handed D behind Darlene and Hannafin would be a great, a great guy for that spot. And everyone's calling for Risto to be traded. And we, you know, we've said it last episode, we both like Risto. Um, I think he can bring a lot to your team. But, hey, if Calgary, you know, was interested in, in trading for Risto and Hannafin was coming back to uh, to us, I would definitely – I'm glad you, you know, chipped in that we'd have to probably add a pick or at least something else, right? Because I, I do think Hannafin's a better player, but I would definitely be okay with that. Um, yeah, I think that could be a long-term fit for our top four too. So that would be – that would be like a long term one of those hockey trades that you see in the off season, right? Right, and I think yeah, 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 exactly. And I think that's kind of the point here. I think if the Sabers are going to make a trade of any ideal uh, with any ideals behind them in terms of a long term fit, it has to be a hockey trade where the cap is the cap is either fairly even or uh, there's a second deal obviously behind it to try to manipulate the cap a little bit, which which sometimes, you know, when you look at some of the guys who are quote-unquote available, again, these are just guys who have been rumbled to be available. There, There's no real concrete evidence of this whole thing. But, you know, Ristolainen is a guy who has been in the trade rumor mills for 
I think what I, at least four or five years. And for the Sabers, you know, they have a glut of right-handed defensemen, and if they're happy with Colin Miller and Brandon Montour, you know, th- these are the kind of guys that okay, you know, I don't mind having them there. Uh, but Ristolainen is definitely probably I would say the best trade chip they have from the glut of right shot defensemen that they do have. Um, there's another name out there, John, that I didn't expect to see out there. When I dug into it a little bit further, I kind of saw why. It, this is a highly speculative uh, discussion, but I saw Travis Konechny's name on, on some of these boards, and it took me aback a little bit because I don't know how much you know about Travis Konechny, but he is a smaller guy, right wing, plays for the Flyers, of course, 5'10", 175. But he scored 61 points in 66 games. Now, that's pretty good numbers, especially for a guy of smaller statue. However, what I really like about him is his contract. He signed for five more years at $5.5 million per season. And he was almost at a point-per-game pace during the regular season. Look, I don't see why the Flyers would want to get rid of him. But if they did, the only reason I came up with was the idea that in the next couple of seasons, Sean Couturier... Travis Sanheim and Carter Hart, their goaltender, all need new deals. These are three of some of the best young players at their respective positions. It's going to cost Philadelphia a lot of money to get these three guys under contract when they still have Claude Giroux under contract. And they still have James Van Riemsdyk under contract, the guy who's making, I think, $7 million a year and is probably not going to be playing up to that contract given his age and experience. Um, but if they get into a cap crunch situation where they can't afford a guy like Konechny for a season or two and they're forced to trade him, I, I think, first of all, you'll have 29 teams or 30 teams around the league lining up for his services because he is a dynamic, dynamic, all-purpose player, and he's the kind of player the Sabres do not have. He's smallish, but he's a cannonball. He can skate. He's fast. He's gritty. He's skilled. He's skilled. He is everything, you know, they talk about blue collar in Buffalo, right? That's the that's one of the favorite cliches of Sabres and Bills fans all over, the world over. They talk about blue collar players. Travis Konechny is the very embodiment of the skilled blue collar player. Now, who do the Sabres give them in exchange? That's very, very difficult because the Flyers, believe it or not, and it pains me to say this, but the Flyers are really well balanced and their cap situation right now is not too tumultuous. It will become as such perhaps a little bit down the road. But if you look at the long-term health of their defense core, they're missing Rasmus Ristolainen. They're missing exactly what he brings. I know we're bringing him up again, but he actually fits a long-term situation in Philadelphia very well. Their top four with Ivan Provorov and Travis Sanheim and Philippe Myers, these guys are actually probably top four material their entire career, no questions asked. But the bottom pair for Philadelphia has been an Achilles heel for years. And part of the problem is they don't get strong defensive play, which I know Ristolainen, that's where we get a 50-50 shot of him, but they do not get much in the way of offensive contribution, and that's what he does. He allows the third pair to come out and still be offensively viable. So for me, I would be very happy with Rasmus Ristolainen and perhaps a second-round pick. I'm going to be honest with you, John. I know this doesn't happen often, but if Konechny does become available, to me, Ristolainen and a first would not be off the table, and I know that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. It, it's a ton. It's a ton. But but 
Travis Konechny has outplayed his draft status, and he's already signed long-term and an excellent cap hit, can be in the top six, no questions asked, and he's exactly what you need on the right side of the Sabres lineup. Okay, I like this. I like this thought a lot, and I'm going to get you rolling here shortly because I would definitely do that. I would definitely do that because, like you said, he's signed long-term under a very nice contract. He is a really good player. I mean, how? let's see, how many years has he been in the league? Four or five? Something like that? Four, uh, four seasons. Yeah. yeah, four. Four seasons in the NHL. And like you said, 61 points in 66 games. That's really, really, really good. Like, that would be, other than Hall, I mean, that, that would probably be our third best forward, right? Mm-hmm. Would, would you agree with that? I would. Okay. okay, so, like, going off of that, yeah, I would definitely do that. And Risto in a first, it is steep, but, I mean, people, like, this kid is really, really good. I agree with Craig on this one. But the only thing that we're running into at this point is a very, very crowded top six. And not only a crowded top six, I mean, that's not a bad thing, but when you start to have, you know, these contracts and it's a great contract, but you start to have these contracts that build up and you have like 60% of your, you know, cap and in, in your top six, it's not that much, but like you, you get the point. Somebody's got to go, right? So like, for sure, send Risto over there. That's fine. We get connect me back somebody's probably got to go, you know, not because they're not good enough to be on this team anymore, but because, you know, the amount of money that they're making is not worth the role they're playing. And, and Craig, who do you think we could be looking at for that? So there's one of two thoughts in my uh, distorted head. And one of the thoughts right away is you try to massage the cap for a couple of seasons to get Kyle Pozo off the books. That's $6 million right there. That's a great pipe dream for a couple of seasons down the road. The problem is you can't play the long game in a situation like this. So I think the only guy, and, and it kind of pains me because you say, well, you're bringing in Konechny to, to bolster the right side of your lineup, and you are, uh, only to then turn around and trade a guy like Sam Reinhardt. But quite frankly, uh, I think Sam Reinhardt would be the guy to go. I think the cap in that situation would be very, very valuable. If we're talking, if we go back to our theoretical of Konechny for Ristolainen, their cap situations are Konechny makes $100,000 a year more than Ristolainen. It's virtually the same. So the two of them kind of wash. Now, but when you talk about Reinhardt, if he's making six or six and a half million a year, he's exactly the kind of guy that you could trade. You're probably just looking for draft picks or maybe a depth player with some picks or some some decent prospects, perhaps. But really, you're not looking really what you're trying to do in that case is just trade the cap. Now, that's really hard to do in a flat cap era. That is tough to do for a low price, because if you're trying to trade contracts, these teams don't have the room. And in order to do that, you're paying a pretty heavy fee. So I think Reinhardt's the guy in that situation, because I don't think he is the style of player that this team needs to put them over the top his style of play is is great in a supporting role I don't think his style of play is great in a driving role Travis Konechny is a driver Sam Reinhart I, I don't want to say he's a passenger but he's better he's like an elite passenger and he's better as a passenger and that's okay I mean, they're just guys like that. Jack Eichel's a driver. Taylor Hall's a driver. Sam Reinhart, 
much more of a passive player, but he's very, very good at it. Uh, and there are teams around the league that Sam Reinhart would push them over the edge to whatever goals they're looking, they're aspiring to. So I think he would be the guy, the odd man out. To whom and for what, I don't have a clue. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Like, obviously, Oposo's contract is, is pretty rough at this point. Um, but getting him off the books over Reinhardt, that's, like you said, it's a pipe dream. I mean, unless we're looking at, like, next year, and we give, like, I don't even know, a second-round pick to Seattle to take Oposo. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> Who right. Knows if that would work? I mean, I would probably do that, to be honest. I would, too. Um but yeah, like in all likeliness, Sam Reinhart probably probably is that guy, especially if we go out and get a guy like Travis Konechny. And you know, it, it is a little bit painful to say that, but like, yeah, I agree. He's he's not the right type of player that we're looking for. That that I personally think is going to do well to get this team over the hump and and deep into the playoffs. I think he could be a very good player on another team. I think he's a very good player on this team, but I would not I would not be too upset to see Reinhardt go if we get a player like Konechny, you know, in some way um, back to replace that hole. So I would do it. Um, we'll see. I think we got to get a good contract for Reinhardt, and then, you know, it makes him more valuable. Hopefully get some term on it. I'm not sure what you would get in return. I, I really don't like the idea of just trading him for – draft picks or prospects, but you're right. I mean, you, you are moving some cap out at that point and that's what you're looking to do as the main objective. But I think you can get a really good return for Reinhardt. I mean, if you're talking picks, like definitely a first rounder. And I would probably say like, you know, a really good prospect in return. Like, I don't know. It, it's so hard to say, but I, wouldn't you agree, like, at least a first-rounder if you're just doing picks and prospects? Yeah, and, and of course, you know, and you're 100% right. I mean, in, the, in a perfect world, you're not trading him for futures because uh, when you sign Taylor Hall, the idea of the futures really kind of dwindled away a little bit. Uh, but really, the, the, the true idea is to trade for the cap space. And when you are trading specifically for cap space, it definitely devalues your return in some way, shape, or form. Now, uh, I agree. I, I think if you're making a hockey trade, and you have to see his contract because the contract is what's going to is what's going to really uh, show where the Sabers can go with this. If if that's an option they're exploring, if the contract is long term and pretty decent, yeah, then the return tends to go up a little bit. I I would agree. I, if if you're just trading for futures, I would uh, I'd be very happy with a first and a B level prospect kind of thing. Uh, if they could get something like that, I don't know what the offers would be from te- again with the flat cap. You know, a lot of teams really are going to have a tough time bringing in a contract for no money out. So it would almost have to be like a combination deal where where Reinhardt goes and the Sabers get a cap dump from the team in return. But see, that actually helps the Sabers because if the other team is is dishing off a bad contract to the Sabers, then the Sabers get better picks better prospects, maybe even a decent roster guy, you know, just kind of depends on what the contracts look like. But uh, it's going to be really tough to make a deal unless it's dollar for dollar these days. But I think you could do it and be creative about it. And if they have a deal in the works for a Travis Konechny or Patrick Line, who was another name that's been thrown around rumor mills for a while, 
you know, you can go ahead and do that and you have that flexibility in the roster. And even though you may not have that flexibility financially to keep everybody, at least you have the ability to take on some futures and still be okay in the present day. Yeah, definitely. And we'll, we'll wrap this up uh, here. And I, I do want to actually ask if you had to pick, um, well, first of all, do you think, yes or no, do you think we will see a, a hockey trade before the season starts yes. from the Buffalo Sabres? Yep. Yes. Yes. I do too. And if you could trade one, who would you trade? Thinking of you know what we would be getting in return, all of that, either Risto or Reinhardt, who are you sending out? That is a great question. Um, I think as I sit here today, I send out Ristolainen, and I'll explain why. Um, because the Sabres, what was the Sabres, one of the Sabres' worst situations last year? That would be even strength scoring from anybody not named Eichel uh, and, and his line mates. So uh, the Sabres went out and made a very, very, very concerted effort to create uh, top six scoring, a little bit of scoring depth. So as it stands right now as a team, uh, I think Sam Reinhart, I don't want to say he's not, exp- I don't want to say he's completely not movable. Uh, but unless they have something else cooking, I think it's going to be really a tough sell to move him just because of their scoring depth issues, and now you're removing one of their better scorers if you trade him. Ristolainen, though, because of their glut of right-shot right defensemen, because his role on this team... here Here's my snapshot of Ristolainen. I think the guy is a really, really talented hockey player who has been asked to do too much he's been asked to do things that he is not capable of he's been asked to be he's been put into roles where it's not feasible for a guy of his age back earlier in his career to achieve the things that they were asking him to achieve so I think he's been put into a lot of unfair situations now that being said he does have way more gaffes in the defensive zone than I really ever want to see out of a defenseman but he can be pretty electric in the offensive end. And the Sabres, for whatever reason, and this is what, three, four coaching staffs that have had Ristolainen, and they all seem to try to pigeonhole him into this role that he's just not, that's just not the type of player he is. That's why when I'm talking about trading him, I'm talking about trading him to teams that have a specific place for him where he would be the best Ristolainen you'd ever see. Third pair on the right side, Maybe maybe first power play, but probably not. Probably second power play. He can obviously chip in offense, but he's just not made for that workhorse role that the Sabres have been trying to pigeonhole him in for years. And the issue I have then, but here's the problem. He's got a contract that tells you, eh, third pair, to have $5.4 million down your third pair, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow for a lot of front offices. So I think getting him off the team would be a favor to him as well because maybe he could get into a situation that would be more suited to his skills. Plus, he still has enough value that there are teams around the league that see him, and I know his analytics are just in the toilet, but there are teams around the league that see him and could theoretically understand how he would fit in not the same way he is in Buffalo, but in their organization and be a real asset to a team. So I think Ristolainen's the guy for me as I sit here in the great Victorian desert right now today. 
<laughs> well, same for me, Craig. And you mentioned it. We have so many right-handed defensemen, and we actually added, well, I guess we we locked in uh, a, yet another one that we already had, but his deal was up. Casey Nelson signed a one-year deal, $700,000. Um, you know, one of those guys that's like a seventh, eighth D-man. And at this point, it kind of feels like we have like too many of those, which is like you can never have too much depth on defense. We know this from 06. But anyway, I you know, I like Casey Nelson. I think he's a good player. It's a good contract, obviously. I didn't see if it was a two-way, but I'm assuming it probably is. But, like, we're getting into the point where you have Brandon Davidson, Matt Irwin, uh, Casey Nelson, and then you get to guys like, you know, Will Borgen. I, I honestly, is he left-handed or right-handed? Do you know? Will Borgen is a right shot. Right shot. So there's another one. Like, uh, Casey Fitzgerald, he's seen some time. You know, and now Casey Nelson. So you've got, like, all these right shot uh, depth defensemen. It's good to have. I don't mind it. Um, but we definitely got to find, like, if if they're not on the roster right now, we got to find some top four, um, like, one more top four defenseman. I do like the Casey Nelson re-signing, though. Craig, how about you? Yeah, I do. I've always liked Casey Nelson. I think he's the perfect uh, complementary defenseman. One of those guys, again, we talk about him a lot, the quad A players, where, you know, you probably won't see him for 82 games in Buffalo or in the NHL. But he's uh, one of the top guys in the AHL. I mean, he's a very, very good defenseman at that level. And he can hold his own at the NHL level. So I thought it was kind of interesting, and I know it was very tongue-in-cheek that some people were saying, oh, they re-signed Casey Nelson. Is that a precursor to a Rasmus Ristolainen deal? And I know that's tongue-in-cheek, but if you really think about it, you made the point earlier, and it makes a lot of sense. When you talk about this organization, they are flush with right-handed defensemen, and you know, Will Borgen is a guy, for me, I have always really been a Will Borgen fan. And I think he, you know, big, big guy, six foot three, uh, maybe not a lot of offensive flair, but exactly the kind of guy. It's like he's the kind of defenseman for me, an actual defenseman, that I would want Rasmus Ristolainen to be in terms of a defenseman. Now, Risto's got obviously a lot more in the way of offensive prowess, but you know, Will Borgen to me is a guy who I think should really make a push for this Sabres roster, especially if Ristolainen would happen to get traded. I, you know, the Casey Nelson thing it intrigues me, not because they brought in anybody new. I mean, he's obviously a guy that's been around for a while, but by them holding on to all these guys, it really makes you wonder if they've got something, maybe not indefinitely or, or something that's imminent, I should say. Uh, but something that maybe they're cooking on the back burner right now. Yeah, I think it is something that, you know, just for safety, like they're they're getting all these guys re-signed. And so they can, you know, maybe they don't, like you said, they don't have something right ready to go right now. But like they're in a position where they can afford to, to get rid of Ristolainen and, and get some, you know, whatever kind of return. Like it doesn't even have to be defensive return because – I, I personally have not seen much of Will Borgen's game. Um, I've liked the, the small flashes that I've seen from him. I Everybody that has watched him has, like, raving reviews from him. Uh, his defensive game, really, really good. Like you said, big, mean guy, physical. Does have, like, a little bit of offensive flair, but definitely not what Risto has. But, like, I mean, it, I don't know. Is it too much of a stretch to say, like, Will Borgen could eventually find his way 
on the top pairing next to Darlene? You know, that's a really interesting question. Um, and I would say, I mean, as we sit here now, yeah, it's a stretch. But if you think about the contrasting styles, uh, it may not be a case where Will Borgen is the best right shot defenseman in the organization. And But it may be that he is the best type of partner for Rasmus Dahlin. And I think that's one of the issues that Dahlin has suffered from with the Sabres is they haven't found his partner, the guy who can be uh, depended on enough that if, if Dahlin goes up ice, that he's dependable to stay back or that in the defensive zone, if Dahlin goes for something fancy, uh, that he'll be there to clean up for him if, if the stick handling goes awry. Uh, Henry Yokiharu is a guy who I have interest to see maybe a long-term look in that situation. But again, those two guys pretty, you know, on the on on the less than physical side, even though I know today's NHL is not about physicality, today's NHL is built for speed and skill. But at the same time, you still need some of that truculence somewhere in your lineup, some grit at least. You don't necessarily need, you know, the big hitters, and you definitely don't need the fighters. But, you know, guys with a little bit of snarl in their game, and especially on the back end, Will Borgen could be, the exact partner for Rasmus Dahlin. So uh, to say talent-wise, I think, yes, it's a stretch. To say uh, fit-wise, I don't know if that's a stretch at all, but I, and I think it's something that's definitely worth uh, taking a look at down the road. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't know, unless he has like a really, really good camp, um, you know, I don't know if he's going to get the, the opportunity at least right away to see time, maybe not even in the NHL. Um, but probably not on Darlene's line to start. But yeah, like long term, you got to find a partner for Darlene. If they start, you know, getting the chemistry together now or sooner than later, that'd be ideal. Uh, and I do think, like you said, like Darlene, it would just give him the freedom to move up ice. We see him; it just looks like he's he's being restricted when he has the puck on the stick. Like we've seen some of the things that he can do, and it's just incredible. I mean, it's it's some of it is right up there with Jack. Um, but I feel like he's being told, hold on, you know, we, we don't have the team in place for you to, to play to your potential because if the play breaks down, you know, it's a two on or whatever, like Will Borgen, he's got those, those defensive, you know, knacks to his game where it's, it'll be okay if it breaks down for Darlene here and there, because Borgen will, you know, he'll bail us out, hopefully. I don't know. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else, too, with Darlene, and I think that's something that really kind of bothers me when it comes to the Sabres' current construction is that I think you're exactly right. I think Darlene, he's so in his own head because it seems like he's trying to do everything, trying to be a defenseman, trying to be an offensive catalyst, trying to do all these different things. And when you're trying to do everything in a game at the NHL level, it, it just doesn't work. And I think the problem is because he's trying to do everything, it it's almost it's like that old saying where they talk about paralysis from analysis. And, you know, it's like he he's trying to do so much that he his head is swimming with things and he's not able to unlock his potential because he's just bogged down in his own head. But if you have a partner that lets him play more freely, now all of a sudden you've got a guy who can unlock his his potential. The Sabres as an organization are failing Darlene by not finding him a partner yesterday. That should have been one of the first things they did when they drafted this guy. Find him a partner 
and, and not just what you have in house. Actively go out and seek something and somebody who fits his style perfectly, and you'll see a Darlene that you you haven't seen uh, uh, to this point. Yeah, and that would be very, very exciting. I mean, everybody's focus is on the forward group, adding Hall and Stahl, and then throwing Hall and Eichel together. But, like, Darlene is in for a really good year. I, I mean, I wouldn't be – I don't really want to put point ex- expectations on him, but it, it's going to be a lot. I think he's really going to take off this year. Uh, but but one thing uh, that was brought up the other day um, was that the NHL and NHLPA – agreed uh, to allow the seven non-playoff teams to have an extended training camp. I believe that was reported to be like two weeks or at least two weeks of an extended training camp um, to make up for not playing. Um, But is that something where you could potentially see a guy like Borgen get that chance with Darlene? Like they're surely they're going to try out so many things and does this extended training camp, you know, not only with, you know, trying younger players out in different roles, but just getting the team ready and like more prepared. I mean, Ralph Kruger is going to have time to introduce his system to everybody, you know, all the new guys, all the young guys. Do you think you could see the Sabres come out hot again, like, and maybe hopefully sustain that more this year because they have this new extended training camp? I think it's kind of the opposite of the NFL, right? The NFL had a real truncated training camp, no preseason, and you could tell early on in the season the product was definitely a little out of sorts. And I think for the NHL, it might go the exact opposite way. And I think you hit the nail right on the head when it comes to a guy like Will Borgen, a guy that, you know, you're not really expecting to make the Sabres out of camp, but because of the extended camp look, and the possibility, because here's the thing, in a regular training camp, you may not see Will Borgen lining up with any of the other NHLers uh, too frequently. You might see him in drills and different reps and things like that. And so you're assorted preseason games and things. But again, the coaching staff has a pretty general idea of who's going to be on the roster. But with the extended look in training camp, you might be able to see some established chemistry a little bit later on, as opposed to regular training camp, where there's still there's a lot of preconceived ideas that these coaching staffs and front offices have coming into the season. A lot of assumptions, if you will. Uh, but with an extended camp look, I could see a guy like Will Borgen being able to establish himself a little bit better just because he has more of an opportunity and more time. I could definitely see that. Yeah, and if if that is the case, you know, we get into training camp and a guy like Will Borgen just shows out and they're like, wow, this guy needs to be in the NHL this year. Now you can. You can trade a guy like Ristolainen and it doesn't hurt one bit. I mean, it helps from a cap perspective most likely. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility that, you know, this extended training camp could allow a team like the Sabres. And, you know, not only from a management perspective is it easier, but – you know, they're going to be ready. They're going to be ready to go. They're going to be a very hungry team with plenty of time to prepare. I think we could see a hot start. And, yeah, hopefully that system is able to really sink in with everybody and they keep it going through an entire season for as long as that might be for this upcoming season. Yeah, I heard a lot of vitriol in your in your voice that time. I wonder why. Uh, I mean, Visions of 10-game winning streaks vanishing, dancing in your heads, is it? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I would really like to hope 
that this team with an extended training camp with the extended layoff really of, of being able to rest up and, and, and gain a perspective, you know, maybe it does do something with for this organization. I mean, obviously the Taylor Hall signing really probably was a boost in the arm to a lot of guys. And so hopefully they can carry that into the regular season and, you know, have have some more sustained success. I mean, you know, those 10 game winning streaks are nice, but, you know, they they as we obviously know, don't propel you into the postseason on their own merit. So uh, I I would like, you know, I would much rather, you know, obviously see this team win seven out of 10 games three or four times in a season than one 10-game winning streak. And I, I would like to hope that some of the veteran leadership they brought in would help to right the ship in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, the last topic for the night, uh, it was also announced pretty recently that the NHL is planning on doing a fourth jersey for this upcoming season. And I don't know, Craig, if you've been going on Twitter lately or Instagram, but have you seen like some of the, uh, the Jersey swaps with the goat head? So here's, here's the thing. I have seen them. And here's the thing. If they put the goat head on a Jersey and the Sabres wear them, I will buy five. Um, because see, to me, I, so I grew up with the original Royal blue and gold. That was, those were the jerseys that I saw, you know, a thousand years ago. Uh, but my formative years of when I was playing and when, uh, hockey basically was everything I thought about was during those years when they had the goat head jerseys. And I absolutely loved them. I, I know I was in the minority at the time because it was very mixed emotions because of because of how radical the change in jerseys and uniforms. I mean, the entire color scheme was was brand new. So there was a lot. Yeah. There were a lot of purists that didn't like that. I always did for some reason. I, I really liked the silver and the red and all that and the black. Um, I love too the butter knife jersey, the red one with the big black circle and the and the sabers crossing over. I mean, I love that. I know they call it the butter knife jersey, but I love those too. So uh, if they put a goat head on something, I'm going to be first in line. I will find a way back from the great Victorian desert here in Australia. I will find a way to Buffalo. I'll be first in line, and I'll take five because that would be uh, – I mean, for them to wear – put it this way, John, for me, as, as a fan in my age and, and with, with what I grew up with, to have them in the royal blue and gold – but also to be wearing the goat jer- the goat head jerseys uh, in the same year. I mean, I would love to sit here and say if they went 0 and 82, I wouldn't care. I would, uh, but it would make it would make the losing just a little more palatable than it is now. Yeah, but on the flip side, Craig, wouldn't this be the perfect year? You get the royal blue jerseys back, the goat head fourth jersey we see a few times throughout the season, and they're actually good. Like they used to be with those jerseys. Oh, I mean, win. how fitting would that be? And no pun intended on the fitting. Oh well, that was well done. Uh, no, oh, win-win. I mean, oh, that would be fantastic. I mean, my one of my favorite memories of all my Saber fandom is Derek Plant's Game Seven uh, winner against uh, Ottawa in overtime against Ron Tugnut. That's one of my favorite memories in the history of Buffalo Saber fandom. And they were in those jerseys. It was one of the first years they wore them, and I just. You know, just to to get back to any any type of postseason action in, I'll be honest with you, they could wear garbage bags. I don't care if they're back in the playoffs. I don't care if they're wearing ballerina outfits. That's great. That's fantastic. If they're in the postseason, I'm a happy guy. 
Yeah, same here, same here. And man, what a season it would be to have, you know, the Royal Blue jerseys, the goat head, the the Sabres going to the playoffs. It would be a fantastic season. And, you know, I think there's definitely some hope gained through this offseason so far. And uh, like you and I both agreed, I don't I don't think it's over yet. I think we could see a trade or two still happen. Um, yeah, any final thoughts, Craig? Back to you, John. All right. Well, we're signing out. Uh, we're, we're going to bed early tonight. Well, at least I am. I don't know about Craig. But you can check us out again on our website, buffalohockeycentral.com. Check us out on Twitter as well. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Mm-hmm.